Hey guys, this is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. Welcome to episode number six of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. Today we are joined by my right-hand man from London Wasps, Sam Portland, who is... Is it your rehab coordinator for Wasps, Sam? Uh, yeah, rehab conditioner and uh, I babysit the GPS as well. Nice one, mate. Thanks for uh, taking part in the podcast today. No, absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Mate, that's awesome. So, do you want to kind of introduce yourself to people and give them a little bit of insight into what you do at Wasps and um, then we can just dive right into the good stuff which is how, how you got to where you are. Yeah, cool. Okay, so basically uh, I work at Wasps um, coordinating with the physios, uh, with rehabilitating athletes, anything from you know 10-day turnarounds to 10 weeks. Um, you know, just on a day-to-day basis, just doing all those bits and pieces alongside running the GPS program. So I make sure the players have the units for training and get them out for games, uh, report the data back, um, all that crazy stuff. And also alongside that, I take care of all the monitoring as well. Okay, so what kind of what kind of stuff are you looking at for the monitoring? Um, just generally on a on a day-to-day basis, um, we weigh them. Uh, everyone does a knee to wall, uh, and then we have uh, scores from one to ten on their sleep and recovery. Um, uh, and then we've got a lot of, a lot of other physio directed monitor, uh, monitoring tools. Um, we use a hip internal rotation, a shoulder internal rotation, uh, adductor squeeze tests. Um, uh, what else do we and sit and reach as well? So uh, we cover a, a broad broad spectrum uh, of of tests. Um, I mainly uh, like to see how the uh, squeezes adductor uh, squeezes fluctuate in terms of um, what load they've come before, like train changing surface uh, off the back of a high day, uh, high running volume day. Um, so stuff like that, I sort of dig into into those things more than anything else yeah mate totally agree with you about the um the squeeze test because when i was at the uh, the sydney roosters the, the squeeze test was a massive one that we used to screen um kickers because obviously yeah. it's a real adductor intensive movement and not only that it's it's an asymmetrical movement as well and it's it's super high repetitions and just off the top of my head i've yet to meet uh, a fly half from rugby union that didn't have um uh, an injury, an overuse injury, typically a back injury. So I think spot yeah. on with that. Because they're all nuts, aren't they? They just kick and kick and kick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, you know, every uh, every session we have Argentina, Nico Sanchez, extra half an hour. Yeah, uh, they got their routines as well. They're fucking weird. Like I've heard, um, I won't name him, but I've heard there's a Premiership fly half, and basically on um, on game day, nobody's allowed to touch his tee, but the the kit man. And it has to be placed in the same part of the pitch. And I mean, Nico's the same. You know, I have to stretch him after the game. So after practice, he can't do the stretches like anyone else. But when you when you're getting uh, three points every time you get a penalty from him, you have to <laughs> baby them a little bit, eh? Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so how um, how did your education go? You did BSc. Uh, yeah, so I did um, an undergrad at Brunel University. Uh, West London, um, and I did that uh, for a human performance pathway. So 
uh, within that degree, you could have gone down the coaching route, you could have gone down the sociology, the psychology route, but I took the human performance pathway. The uh, the fun pathway. <laughs> yeah, the fun pathway. You know, the bit that they tell you that, um, you know, you're guaranteed a job when you walk out of here and, and all that stuff. Maybe as a personal trainer or PE teacher. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the irony of that is that I had my personal training qualification before I went to university, and then most of the cohort that were in my year are now personal trainers. So, <laughs> so you, you, what, so whilst you're at Brunel, were you trying to get professional coaching experience, or did you make the mistake that I made and, and wait until you graduated to do that? Um, in terms of professional coaching experience, uh, I waited till after I graduated but whilst I was at university um, I was very lucky that there were a lot of athletes at the university um, so I managed just to you know try and pick people's brains just help people out as and when I could um, and I also managed to get hold of the university rugby team so I was doing SNC for the university rugby team uh, for, for two the second two years that I was there and then a, a year following uh, my um, departure from the university. So I was coaching. I was doing a lot of coaching whilst I was there, but obviously not to the uh, elite level. Yeah. So I mean, was it was it pretty unguided? Were you just kind of uh, training yourself, training the other guys, and just yeah, know, pick, picking it up as you go along? Yeah, just really cutting my teeth. A lot of trial and error. Um, like just yeah, just getting stuck in, making a hell of a lot of mistakes. Um, you know believing that max strength was everything uh, and that you you know just all the common you know, misconceptions I was doing and I was learning learning as I was going through I found it interesting though because obviously me and uh, Tappers Ian Taplin for anyone who doesn't know him he's head of uh, performance for the academy at Wasps at the time that you applied for your internship at um, Wasps you, you were putting up videos of yourself um, training the Brunel guys and I thought that was quite interesting you know even this is what Four years ago, nearly, I think, and uh, you were yeah. you were putting yourself out there even then, and it was it was good to see because we could see the influences and in what you were doing from, you know, who you'd probably been reading, um, and yeah. you probably had the same problem with us, which is trying to apply the the Russian stuff. Because I I remember one video that you did like a hundred meters of bounds, and I was like, fuck, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was stupid, mate. That was well, stupid. I um, I told you like. That that book, the Special Strength Training Manual, I didn't get it until yeah. I managed to sit in a room with her for four days and have her like spoon feed it. And now you know, yeah. I half understand it now. Oh mate, yeah, I I totally totally get it now. <laughs> you know, I'm dyslexic, mate. So you know, you've you've got to read it to me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you've yeah, um, you you graduated uni. Sorry, mate. What were you saying? Yeah, it's, no, it's just really interesting. You think about back then and, and all the things um, that you look at and you read and, and all the videos. And like the reason why I was putting myself out there is because um, I don't know if anyone else is familiar, but uh, my, the first person I ever saw on YouTube was Zach Evanesh. And, and I just like loved the way he was training and just bringing in sort of just that intensity and just putting himself out there. Um, and I just listened to one of his podcasts again the other day and it kind of just brought it all back full circle to me. It was, it was quite interesting. I had none of the relative content that I do now, but 
like it was just it was just all about training and, and getting it done and, and trying things and just and trying to push the limits. New Jersey style. <laughs> yeah, mate. So um, you graduated your uh, degree. Obviously, at that point, you know everything, um, just like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> what what happened then? Uh, so as soon as I as soon as I graduated, um, I then just went on the task of getting an internship and just trying. Um, I got an interview at um, a professional football club, and I, I didn't get that. Um, and then Mike Guadango posted on the internet that anyone in the UK um, get in contact, I've got some great news for you. Uh, and it turned out that James Smith was coming over here and doing some consultation work, which I then just hadn't hadn't really heard of him too much. Um, but then I was, you know, hit by a cannonball of knowledge when I actually got round to meeting him. Um, luckily, he was only coaching about 20 minutes from my house. So I went and sat every day for a little over two weeks, uh, watched him coach, uh, sat down, chatted with him, just talked shop, um, and literally had my mind blown for, for that extended period of time. And then the internship with yourself popped up and I applied for that. And... Um... You're a, a sneaky little fucker with that. <laughs> Do you want to <laughs> tell people how how you went from the the no pile to the, the top of the yes pile? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I told I told James Smith that I was applying for it, um, and obviously you two knew each other, um, and uh, he uh, he put in a word for me. Um, he was really fortunate. I took him out for dinner, um, and he sort of you know prepped me a little bit more. Um, and uh, yeah, even to this day, I thank him for that extra bit of time. Mate, that's you know, it's funny. You know, we um, we had a, a chat about this, and I was completely honest with you. And it, it was probably a bit of an experience on my part. But when we were looking for interns at that point, it was just we got all these CVs coming in. I think Tappers passed your CV to me, and it was just you know, in the yes pile, you had to have a master's degree or um, high level rugby experience. And if you didn't have that, you went in the no pile. And, you know, at the time, you didn't have high-level rugby experience and you had a, a bachelor's degree. But, yeah. um, you know, I've, I've been a big fan of, of James's work on Elite FTS and on his website as well. And he got this email saying, oh, I've just had, you know, dinner with this guy, Sam Portland. I think he'd be a great candidate. And obviously, I just reached into the no pile, <laughs> pulled your CV <laughs> out and stuck it on top. So I think that's that kind of illustrates just how, how big a change um, network and, and knowing the right people can can make to your uh, your opportunity to get a job. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. So we went into the uh, the internship. How did that year go for you? Because I um, I abandoned you halfway through, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it was it was for the best. Like it was really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, got to work with uh, the ace ace group. So at a, at a good age. Um, it was it was really nice to be able to sort of lead lead a group of that, of athletes other than a university cohort, um, especially in terms of, of their focus to the programs. At the end of the day, you know those guys if they were good enough got the opportunity to move up into the senior academy and effectively get a professional contract. So um, really got stuck in just applying, 
the methods that we wanted to use, um, getting regular coaching, you know, just smashing the speed, getting them strong, making them move well. It was, uh, it, yeah, it was really, really good. We ended up getting to the ace. I think it was the cup sem- uh, cup final at the end of the season, so that was quite a nice little experience to do that trip. Um, but yeah, all in all, it was, it, was a, it was a really, really good year, great experience and a lot of learning. Yeah, mate, I think you touched on it there that a lot of people kind of turn their nose up at um, academy internships, and I was one of them, you know, back in the day because nobody ever uh, nobody ever sends off that letter of application or letter of inquiry to the academy SNC coach it's always to the first team SNC coach because people yeah. think it's going to be more glamorous but you know you, you've seen first team interns um, at, you know at Wasp and other clubs and you'll know that you get a, f- a lot less freedom when you're working with the first team it's a lot more you know get the kit out do the piss pots but the, the great thing about the academy environment is to an extent nobody cares <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and there's a lot less resources so you kind of have to get on with it don't you yeah, 100%. And um, I think that's the best way. It's the way, and for me, it's the, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, it's the way that I've, I always did it as well. I just get training, you know, try things, get things working. If it, if it works, keep it. If it doesn't, get rid of it or try and find another way around, around that problem. Um, so, it, yeah, it just really helped my development and just pushing me further on to higher levels. And the whole uh, in the deep end thing, like, being completely honest, that that job at the time that I was doing the head of academy job, we had um, I think it was like 110 athletes top to bottom, and uh, all of the quote unquote superstars within the academy were spread out at various different universities and around London. So I kind of chucked you in at the deep end, and it was yeah. for the first two weeks I turned up every day. Then for the next couple of weeks I turned up once a week, and then I was like, right, are you ready to do this? And you're like, uh, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's in at the deep end but I think that's it's a good learning opportunity if you can get it that's the way that I learned pretty much yeah sink or swim mate you got to do it so you, sorry you yeah, test how much I wanted it as well oh fuck yeah you know? I mean like I always say like you know there's two kinds of people uh, in internships ones who come extremely close to quitting and get extremely fed up and the other the other kind of liars like it's it's a tough, yeah. tough year. Like, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that? The kind of the struggles that you went through. Um, yeah, it was because I was like definitely. Oh, it was a little bit easier for us, for myself, than from what for what you had to go through. I was doing a lot of personal training on the sideline, and it wasn't. It was, you know, I was in half days a week after the pre-season, so I managed to keep ticking over along with a bit of uh, bunts from some semi-professional rugby. But at the same time, you kind of, it it's tough because for me, you know, remember what I said to you, I was like the first day, I was like, I'm, I'm not here for an internship, I'm here for a job. Like I want, I want a career out of this. So I was constantly just putting the pressure on myself to, you know, making sure I get it right, turning up early. You know, it was my priority and everything else fell to the wayside of that a little bit. Um, and it gets tough like you know you you get halfway through the year and it's like you try and take a breath but you just can't because you've already got you've got another six months to go and you've still got so much more to to do with the boys so it's it, it, it never lets up but it, like I said it always it tests you and, and really tests your metal towards it and and what happened at the end of that first year uh I got a job 
Nice one. So was it the, that was um, Academy part-time, right? Yeah, yeah. So essentially it was the same it was the same role that I was doing with a few other extra bits and pieces, um, but paid. So I was, I was over the moon. Yeah, but well, I, you know, I will say, like people think it's the uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That pot of gold is still a job that's not enough to live full time. You still got to go out and do the part time jobs, and that was the, yeah, that was the case for me in my second year as well. Yeah, and I, you know, now I still work within the first team, and I I work outside of my main job. Smart so man, yeah. you got to look after yourself first. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. how how did that first team opportunity come about? Um, so it got to Christmas of the second year, uh, and there was a bit of a reshuffle in the first team. Uh, you said you had moved on and Ryan had taken your place and was just kicking ass there. Uh, and they needed an extra set of hands. Um, I had volunteered and spent a couple of weeks with Dan Howells, uh, over the preseason and literally, you know, filling up water bottles, picking up plates, just absorbing the environment and just helping out wherever I could and um, they offered me to come and do that um, for the rest of the season uh, which is where I sort of took on the some of the GPS responsibilities um, and it was yeah it was, it was fantastic like it, the, the six months just absolutely flew by and uh, it was yeah such a great experience what was the uh, what was the transition like from you know, from a, a technical perspective, but also uh, kind of interaction with the athletes, moving from a, a youth setup to uh, a, a full f- professional setup with adult athletes. Yeah, so essentially, you go from uh, under 19s that you know you're you know seven eight years older, uh, and that you can essentially tell them what to do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and that is far from the reality of going into a senior setup, especially going in halfway through a season. No one really, no one knew who I was. Uh, and you've really just got to start from uh, from the ground up. And luckily, I've I've played rugby since I was eight years old. I've played a lot of, um, been on rugby tours, you know, knew the crack and, you know, st- still play to, the, to this day. So I, I knew what I was in for in terms of the banter that would be flying around and, and the types of people that I'd come across. Because I think rugby's a game that, that never changes. It's just your paycheck does. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was, that was it was really interesting trying to uh, generate new relationships and build, you know, uh, good good quality understanding with, with the players. So they just didn't look down on me or talk down on me uh, to me. Um, so it was quite it was quite interesting. I remember one of the first things I had to do was come out and help with. Uh, they did some like strongman conditioning with the forwards, uh, and they needed. Um, I had to go in, and there was like a, a counter ruck part of it, uh, and I had to wrestle uh, the whole forwards. It was like fifteen on, fifteen off, and they did like three sets. It was, I think it was about twelve players out there at one time, uh, <laughs> and I just took an opportunity, and I was like, right, I'm just going to go and try and smash them and just, you know, get get stuck in and earn a bit of respect that way. Um, and and Big Red took him to Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely done by the end of it. I couldn't eat my lunch. I was so tired. I was just absolutely smashed. But uh, it was so much fun. And, 
you know, I did earn a bit of uh, respect from the boys that way. Do you think it's quite important then to, uh, if you do want to work in an adult professional environment, to try and familiarise yourself with that type of environment before you go into it? Because obviously you want to you want to hit the ground running and be comfortable and be able to contribute. Yeah, definitely. Because I think if you if you didn't know the environment, you come and you came in, it'd be very intimidating. Um, you know, essentially, you know, a hundred kilo man is average in a professional rugby environment so yeah. you know they're they're big men and you know and the banter flies around and it, it can be intimidating if, if you you'd let it but you know i would say to anyone get out there get into a senior rugby environment at whatever level uh if if you've got any aspirations of um, working in an elite rugby or any elite environment get into those senior environments as quick as possible yeah Try, try doing it in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, oh, mate. So um, let's talk about where you are now. How, how did you make that transition from the uh, effectively the number three position to, to being the rehab coordinator? Uh, okay, so again, it was a little bit of reshuffling and a little bit of a uh, little bit of luck as well, I guess. Um, that um, Tom Farrow, who you had on on the first uh, podcast, decided to step away from the program at Wasps, and uh, they asked me to fill his role, um, which, excuse me, which I gladly did, um, and uh, and just yeah, just took it on from there. Really, it was a, a new role for the club. Was previously that they hadn't had uh, a strength and conditioning based rehab conditioner. Yeah. Uh, so it was. Um, it was a bit foreign for the whole club, even the physios as well, uh, because they had their way of doing things. Um, so it was, um, it's been interesting. It's had a lot of challenges on the way, but um, it's it's really nice to be able to work with those sorts of uh, sorts of athletes in, in terms of the rehab process, um, because it presents a completely different set of challenges and one that I really really like is is you know developing strong relationships with the players yeah i mean absolutely agree with you i think like you said it's a different kind of training because oh man it's crazy like in, if you're for example in a pre-season environment with a full team you're just like putting out fires <laughs> you uh you you get out of bed and then you don't sit down again until like 10 o'clock that night and you never stop moving and i think you're always against the clock and like you've alluded to with the rehab guys, you, you know that you've got your you've got a decent chunk of time that you can dedicate yourself to training that player and, yeah. and probably make more progress than they would when they're in the team environment and potentially have a, a bigger impact on their career. Would you say that's right? Oh, hundred percent. Same Absolutely. as the uh, same as the kids, I think as well. That's why it's another reason people seem to to look down on on uh, training kids is that it's, you know it's not glamorous, but. Man, I think if, yeah. if if a pro has already made it, you're not going to have that big of an impact on um, their career. But with a kid, like you can have a huge, huge impact on on their career. And you know, I still I still stay in touch with kids that I used to train at was three years ago on on Twitter and stuff. It's massively yeah. rewarding. Yeah, definitely. Because you know, everyone wants to train the guys that are on the highlight reels, uh, and they've seen them doing questionable lifts. Um, with you know, with cheerleaders as coaches and. And that's not what it's about for me. Um, you know, you want to be in the position where you can actually develop people, not just keep them ticking over. Yeah. So, 
Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your rehab process? Let's imagine I've just handed you an injured player and say you've got ten weeks. How, how do you uh, how do you map out the process and what key kind of uh, events are you looking at along the process in order to return them to play? Okay, so in terms of the injury site itself, uh, that is definitely physio led, um, and they manage the stages of healing. Um, and to the point where they're like, right, I'm happy for, for you to take them on. So what I do is, first of all, I'll, I'll look at the player uh, and perform you know, a needs analysis based on um, any previous injuries um, and just gem- generally their, their natural postures and look at how that correlates towards their position. So... If they need extra glute work, if you know anything like that, then they'll get that and they'll get it in an abundance. Um, I'll have uh, a couple of weeks where I will just ease them into the program, um, where we'll just do a little bit of feel good stuff. Uh, we'll do a little bit of goal setting uh, and and to to really focus and and get some real good attention control from from the athlete, uh, and then I'll crack on with. Uh, with a triphasic approach, and that's your favourite approach, is it? With uh, with a rehab player, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's something that uh, I'm quite an advocate uh, towards using. If you've got an extended block, for instance, a, a preseason, um, I really, really uh, favour that. You know, there's there's definitely a lot more to um, strength than just the concentric part of the movement. You know, so. I'll, um, yeah, I've been really, really exposing players to these new stimuluses and, and actually getting some fantastic results. And like you said, it's it's not usually the um, the con- the concentric phase where they're getting hurt. It's normally the the eccentric or the isometric, and it, it's yeah. quite neglected, isn't it? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because you know, no one's uh, no one puts a five second uh, eccentric back squat on a on a YouTube video, do they? No. You know, so, <laughs> I was, um, you know, I was talking to Graham Morris about that the other day. He he used it yeah. at um, Newtown, and yeah. um, he said, you know, even even for healthy players, it's it's still a great idea because it, it just makes you comfortable in those those precarious positions where people would normally fail, and it just tightens up technique. And it, you know, even even if there's nothing wrong with you, it's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, I found with with the eccentric, if you get a good block. Uh, of the eccentric work in, you've PB'd. Yeah. 100%. Like, 100%. You know, uh, I usually work uh, for an eccentric portion for up to six weeks, uh, and they'll be doing eccentrics uh, twice a week um, on their non-affected areas. So what they will do is the, the club are quite keen to keep the, keep the boys involved in the mainstream of the lifting, so at the moment they do one upper body and one lower body a week. So I'll have to hand them to that to, over to, to to that part of the program. But then the rest I uh, I factor in myself. So they're oh, getting okay. uh, they get a lot of stimulus out of uh, out of their their training program. So you know, for example, let's say you've got a guy who's got an AC uh, issue, and they've yeah. programmed a squat. You might program a belt squat, for example, or a safety bar squat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And 
there, there is a lot of give and take with that. If the physio, you know, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. So they don't have to be in that program because, like you, like I use the high low uh, approach. So if it doesn't fall right, then we'll just we'll just take take control of the program and and then you know I'm programming them three times a their high days three times a week, which which works. And yeah, we just take the we we substitute in the right exercises. Um, given given the injury, I'm having a lot of. I prefer belt squat over the safety bar. Um, oh yeah, because, how come? You know, you just um, just in terms of from uh, from the from the player's point of view, they they feel a bit safer on it just yeah. because it, you know. Same with the AC. <laughs> uh, if you used a, a safety safety bar, there's always that little bit in the back of your mind. Yeah. That, um, you're getting those compressive forces, so I just try to steer clear of the safety bar for as, as long as possible, and, and just get them loading through the uh, the belt squat. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so once you've kind of nailed that strength phase, what are you what are you looking to do after that, or are you training um, higher speed, higher force elements from day one? Or are you going to cement that base of strength first and then move on to, to higher power movements? Yeah, so kind of, uh, you know, the, the evolution of sort of my training uh, theories is I kind of, you know, the more you can control them, the more force that you can absorb, you know, the better your know, concentric output is going to become. So I sort of really do heavily program that at the forefront. But within, within those... Um, capacities there uh, I have a lot of movement skill and movement drilling work uh, lots of extensive uh, running drills say we've got like an upper body compromise that we do lots of extensive running drills lots of uh, non-counter movement jumping um, so it's all about just that eccentric utilization and putting the brakes on um, so in terms of looking to get high higher speed movements they are getting that just in real small doses um whilst we're you know in terms of the vertical integration putting a massive emphasis under the barbell initially then i'll take them through for instance a, a guy that we've been back squatting with recently and six weeks six weeks of uh, wave loaded eccentrics uh then we moved him into reactive isometrics um so you'd start at the top of the squat drop into the hole uh, and catch the weight um, and got this guy uh, was doing that with 145 kilos for four or five second holds wow <laughs> um, and uh, so again it takes it from um, you know the uh, controlling the force to then um, stop like dead stop you know the isometrics are really absorbing that force and then we take it forward to, to the concentric side uh, which at the moment, with the reactive isometrics, I've programmed that with uh, single leg banded Bulgarians. Okay, so um, it's just like so a, a real fast drop, stick in the uh, hole, five seconds, and drive up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then the secondary movement to that will be uh, banded Bulgarians uh, and also drop jumps. Okay, and progressing the height of a drop jump. Run me through, so so for people listening on podcasts, we were talking a little bit earlier and you were talking about is it the, the four sets of four second isometric stuff. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and kind of the rationale behind it and where you're putting that into your programming? Yeah, okay. So um, 
what we're trying to what I try and do is just generally um, work off the principle that you know the wider your base, the higher your peak is going to be. And if that doesn't make sense to anyone, you can't build a house on sand. So you've got to have a lot of con- concrete foundations. And within that, I always teach the boys. I say you've got to learn to control your force. You've got to be able to recruit. So that eccentric time, I say, let's learn to recruit and switch muscle on. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of sinks into them. Um, and then, so what we do, how I'll coach it and cue it, they'll, you know, spend that six weeks developing that eccentric utilization and, and just developing some raw strength. Then we, te- then we tell them, it's like, now that you've got that muscle, they've, they, we've underpinned them with all the movement skill, all the landing and, um, all the landing work sorry and, uh, and then we teach them you know now it's time to be able to relax and then turn that um, turn that recruitment back on yeah. so that's how we use the isometrics so you know I'm standing over them they're in the they're in the um, they're in the gym and I just talk them through it you know it's like you just on command it's a like drop and then I let them catch it and then I just you know, cue them to like switch on, switch on, switch on, switch on. So they're constantly trying to recruit more and more muscle fiber, tolerating load. Um, and it, they, they enjoy it because it's a challenge as well. It's a challenge. And, and the, the feedback is, is fantastic for them as well. Like I said, I had a, had a guy, he's actually 31, uh, doing reactive drop, uh, reactive isometric back squats with 145 kilos. And he just is over the moon with his progress. Um, and that's where it builds back to the, the goal setting that we use and it really targets them them in and like, going back to your question if you can't if you can't recruit you can't contract so you need to be able to, to put the two two together and then we move on to you know the, the speed strength stuff uh, the explosive throws explosive jumps uh, and, and all the uh, alatic work so um yeah, mate, massively agree. You know, like breaks breaks before gas, and um, you, you need to be able to recruit muscle to be able to create those breaking forces, which are going to keep you in safe positions. And along yeah. with that goes the ability to to contract at the right time and do it quickly as well. So yeah, yeah. mate, massively agree. Um, we- do you want to talk a little bit about the outside the gym? So that's the inside the gym stuff. <laughs> talk about speed and agility outside, and, and how you're bringing the guys back to that. Yeah. Okay. So just uh, like before, we we get them get them outside. We just got to make sure you know they do have those competencies in the gym. They're doing some you know decent deceleration work and, and stuff like that. And I'm happy with their low level movement skill. When we take them outside, uh, as soon as we can, I'll get them doing tempo running. Uh, as soon as we can get them running, um, I'm all for that and using. Um, those drills just to encourage that relaxation um and and then to them as well i bring it back into the gym i say to them you know you've done all that eccentric work and the isometric work you're learning how to turn on and turn off now let's put it into your running you know use the effort when you hit the ground relax when you're not um i'll take them through the plyometric streams of all the non-counter movement the counter movement double contacts just using real basic drills, starting from the base position. It's the the, the exo stuff, it. right? Pardon? Is it the the exo stuff? Yeah, yeah. So definitely, yeah. You use the use the exo stuff. I'm a big fan of that. Um, it's you know it is underpinned by good research. 
uh, and you know they, there's a lot of people that, that don't complain about their methods, so which is always always good to hear. Um, so yeah, and I take them through that, and I just play around with it as well, um, and, and and switch it up. I have had the streams that I want to work towards, um, but it's it's the best. It's like what's what works best for that athlete. Um, and then they try and put that back into into their position. Like I am not one that tries to blur the lines of strength and conditioning and rugby. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm one that will develop the physical competencies that are needed for rugby, and then you know rugby will take care of itself. and let the technical coaches do the rest. And they're um, going to have a couple of weeks anyway of, of, of rugby as they get integrated back into the team. So effectively, your job's your job's done in that regard, right? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, and if if I tried to do it too early, I'd just be wasting my time. Yeah, right. that's that's time that you could be using to develop those maximal outputs whilst you have the opportunity. Yeah, hundred percent. And we spend a lot of time, uh, to, on, even on our low days, looking to hit our acceleration shapes. Uh, as well so you know like if anyone's not too familiar that's listening you know the last thing you want to do when developing max speed is sprint you've got to get everything else in place first so we spend a lot of time just working on the behaviors of the movement I use the ipad a lot um, show the boys what they're doing uh, and then and give them that visual feedback which is really really important um, but then try to make it fun at the same time so are you using um, Coach's Eye as your app? No, I'm not. I'm uh, just using Uber, Uber Sense. Uber, Uber Sense. <coughs> yeah, that's it. So was it Uber Sense? I'm not sure, mate. No, I'm not it's sure of the name because it was uh, an Argentinian that told me the name of it, so he's probably butchered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm using that one, uh, and it's got a, you know you can play back at one quarter of the speed and, and stuff like that, so you can really see. And, and again, they're rugby players. They're they're visual learners. They're athletes. You know, yeah. you can you can talk to them till they're blue in the face, but unless you show them, they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna respond. So we kind of we have some fun with it. We have some fun with it. Uh, but I, I do get you know the start of the start of the stream in as quick as possible. So in their warm ups, they're doing a marches. They're doing you know ankling. Um, like slow ankle walks, like just getting the behaviours into them. Um, mm. Little hop and stick, walk hurdle walkovers, you know, broom handle RDLs, just to help with the uh, the, the hinging and, and stuff like that. Lots of sled walking uh, as soon as they can. So when they're ready, well, when they're ready to go outside, they're really ready for it. And you've at least got some as much preparation as you can into those tissues and in those movement patterns without actually having to manage those forces associated with sprinting yeah definitely i, I if, if anyone's ever tried you know 20 minutes of uh, sled dragging work there you'll you'll know it's you'll know the tissues ready <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I like to use a mixture of straight leg walks with uh with a marches lateral movement uh stuff like that and um it preps you. It primes you very, very well for when you when you're ready to run. Yeah, because you're using those those muscles and you're using essentially the same patterns that you would be for uh, an actual sprinting movement. Yeah, hundred percent. Just dynamic. One um, one little question. This is just me for my own uh, 
my own uh, coaching. How yeah. do you sell tempo running to, to rugby players? Because I'll admit as a coach, tempo running is boring as fuck, but it's one of the most effective things I think that we can do for fitness and for speed development. So I'm just curious how you try and sell it to him because man, some of those players that I work with, it's literally on, on week two, they're complaining. And you say if you want to do eight weeks of it, you, it's, it's a difficult sell. Yeah, um, yeah, it can be. It can be. Like, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where you know I can get the time that we do the goal setting with the with the players, which is really valuable, um, and so I can always relate it back to that. Yeah, um, and you know we set you know certain performance goals. Um, so, but also you just educate them in in why they need to be doing it and. So I start, as soon as possible, I'll start the tempo off feet on the bike. So they're, they're used to it. And yeah. like when they're on the bike, they're like, oh, I'm sick of this bike. I was like, I know, but we're getting you ready. We're getting you ready to run. And it's all about you know reinforcing what they need to do all the way to get there. It's like, you know, you say to them, I was like, do you think I'm stupid? You know, I'm not going to send you out there and do something that you don't need to do. You know, if they're, they're a winger... You know, you explain the reasons why tempo running can can help develop their maximal, you know, maximal velocity. You know, and and even with a with a forward, I've done it with a tight head prop. That you know, he did a lot of tempo running with him, and to develop his power, um, and and develop his recovery. And if if they do keep but don't keep on on track. Then you know if they're ready, we'll give them a horrible dose. We'll be like, right, well, this is what you should be doing. How does this make you feel? Oh, I, I feel fucking horrible. I can't yeah. run. Like you know, I go. This is why you need to be doing tempo running. Yeah, mate, it's funny. It's one they, of those things you, you need to do it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I think it's difficult as well because there's so little literature to support tempo running, but there's so many yeah. excellent coaches out there using it. It's funny. Yeah, definitely, and as well, like. It, for me, I found it's an easy sell for for wingers uh, and outside backs, definitely because it develops their speed and they they want to develop speed. But another tool that I can use and have used is the GPS. You know the numbers from the GPS. Oh, okay. Uh, you know cor- correlate to the relative speeds that they need to be running in at, at tempo. Um, and you know you give them the equation. Well, you know we're going to do up to th- we build the boys up to three k of linear tempo running. Um, and I go right. That's how good quality three K feels. Okay, I'll show you an example of a session of horrible three K quality. You know, and then they let them decide for themselves. <laughs> you know, and they, you know, they 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 soon they soon realise. Like I'm not I'm not for negative reinforcement. I don't punish the boys at all. Um, I I'd like try and pride myself on developing good understanding relationships with them they know yeah. that I'm there to look after them and I want to protect them as much as I can and protect them from themselves um, so from the outset I'm always kind of reinforcing why they need to be doing this uh, and where it's going more so because sometimes they, they don't know where their programs are going yeah which, Man, I think you hit the nail on the head there like we uh, similar for us I mean I think as a coach if, if you're one of those guys that's ranting and raving from from day one, things like that just lose their potency and 
you know, by week three or four, they're not listening to you. Like, what have you got up your sleeve when they, they when they really need it? You know, you, you can't you can't uh, behave like that around players and expect it to work in the long run. And also, as you said, with referring back to um, the goals of the program as often as you can. The first thing that we did last year in our camp, uh, we're in Florida. Um, we sat them down on day one and we sat them down for like an hour and a half and we said, this is exactly what we're going to do for the next um, near enough 20 weeks. And we said, you know, these are the objectives. Here's how we're going to do it. Does everyone have, you know, does everyone understand? Does anyone have any questions? And kind of yeah. bashed it out from the start there. And that gives you something to refer back to if and when questions do come up. Yeah, I completely agree. Like they're all, Athletes are always going to have an opinion as well. And because by nature they're type A people, you know they're going to want to challenge things. They're going to want to push the boundaries. And if but if they've given that commitment, then you know through goal setting or or any other medium that you choose, then you know you've essentially got on by the short and curlies because <laughs> they've said that they want to do this and they said that they understand it. Uh, and if they just said it at the time and they don't quite understand it, then that's fine. You can go back over the process of, of why. But, you know, in my experience, I, I've not really had too much of, uh, of a problem with, um, with guys wanting to stray away from the program. Outside of Haskell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, luckily he's not injured. He's, he's a unique character. <laughs> yeah. So he's yeah, part of the England squad. Talk about your experiences uh, with going to visit and help out England a little bit. Yeah, they, they've been really good, actually. Um, England are very nice that they open up the doors through some of the campaigns uh, to get extra bodies in, to, whether it be strength and conditioning coaching or, or sports science assistants, um, which, is, which is really nice of them. I think it's testament to, to Lancaster's philosophies. Uh, and you know the type of program that they they want to run there. Um, we won't talk about the Six Nations too much, but um, I'm, uh, I've just it, checked the uh, the news. There is it. The chief exec of the RFU said that four consecutive second place finishes is unacceptable. So yeah, we'll, um, I know, I know. we'll have to see what he says when Argentina beat England in the semi finals at the World <laughs> Cup. <Yeah. laughs> um, so. Yeah, what I've done, like when I've been in there, um, is you know I've just literally just helped out, coaching the boys, um, helping with the GPS stuff, uh, just being a little bit of a forager, uh, but just to get experience inside the international camp, especially from a home nation, is uh, invaluable, really, because you know I would be I would be lying if I said I didn't want to be an international coach. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't want to coach at the highest level I possibly could. It sounds um, better than it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but the uh, they got some. They do have some good things. Pennyhill Park is a fantastic facility. Yeah. Uh, and um, like they're uh, they've been they're, yeah they're they're very welcoming. Like I managed to speak to the sports scientists, uh, the consultation physiologist, a few times, and and followed up further on email. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be uh, working with Joe Launchby at the moment, so getting some good communications there. Um, and also, Mike Cat gave me uh, some of his time. I went to see him there on a, on, a, on another occasion. He sat down with me for 
well over while we didn't sit down we were, we were doing skills training for well over an hour he gave me his time because I wanted to help Joe as much as I could and, and with uh, with his skills work whilst he's whilst he's injured so what we do with uh, with a lot of the boys if it if it's if it sits we do you know 20 minutes of hand-eye coordination work just while they're injured we use table tennis paddles we do use rugby balls we do look at some of the visual and auditory aspects of it we just juggle we set challenges uh stuff like that just to keep keep the process fun um because you know that's a really big big thing for, for the rehab progress is actually to keep your hands on a ball uh, and to keep that stimulus ticking over, so uh, I can't speak highly enough of, uh, of Mike Caffey giving me that time and helping me with that. And did did he offer that freely, or did you have to go looking for it a little bit and, and do it off your own back? Uh, yeah, well, I uh, I just you know I'm all for you know if if you if you're not sure how to do something, then find the best person that knows how to do it and, and try and make contact with them. Really, so I just went through my, my route of uh, the, the contest that I've got in England and asked if he'd be prepared to speak to me about some of this stuff and if I could meet with him. Uh, and he was like, yeah, just come down to Penny Hill. Uh, I went down there and we, uh, we we messed around for about an hour and it was, uh, it was a really good experience. God damn it, you're persistent as fuck. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, been, it, it's been good. Like he, he's, he's been really helpful and he's just, you know, doors always open. You know, it was like if you come up with anything else, tell me. You know, tell me what stuff you've been doing with the boys. Uh, you know, he's um, yeah, he's good. He's a great person to talk to about. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, well, um, we're getting to the end of it. Ne- nearly an hour now. Give um, give people listening to the podcast some some good coaches to listen to. People who've been influential in your career. Okay, uh, so first of all, James Smith. Um, He's uh, fantastic. His uh, website is, is it Global Athlete Concepts? Uh, right. I think that is the membership site where he does the lectures. His his yeah. uh, training site is PowerDevelopmentInc.com. Yeah, so that's a fantastic resource. Uh, Take a thesaurus, though, if you go to that website, because you're going to need it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, like we mentioned at the beginning, uh, and I think with Verkashansky's name on it, it's, it's worth reading. Um, and again, you know, take uh, a, a theosaurus and a translator with you for that. Um, super training, it's just the Bible, you know, uh, read read that, take it with a pinch of salt, figure out how it goes in your environment, if it does at all. Um, what else? Elite FTS is always quite cool, there's some nice little gems on there. Yeah, I'm um, really liking uh, Brian Mann at the moment, he's doing some good stuff over there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, he's, yeah, he's he's a great guy to listen to. Um, who else am I thinking? Yeah, great podcast is Pacey Perform. Uh, yeah. he gets some he gets some great. great they had some guys very um, some very handsome guests on that podcast, haven't they? They they have had some. Very have you handsome been on it? Guests. Yeah, I have. Have you? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me just. Uh, who else? Joel Jameson, 100% for your conditioning work. Uh, Cal Dietz for your triphasic work. Uh, uh, Steve Magnus for, for your energy system work as well. 
It's, it's a cliche on this podcast so far. Everyone has mentioned um, Mladen at complimentary training, so I'll just I'll throw it in there again just to keep the uh, the cliche going. I've told him on uh, Facebook that I'm going to be his yeah. agent. I'm, I mention his name that much. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. Like I've, I've swapped a couple of emails with him. Nothing too heavy, but yeah, he, he puts out some great content. Uh, he's he's another one to definitely definitely look at. You just always think you're forgetting someone, but. Oh Matt, you know we could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where can um, where can people find you online? Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Sportland underscore TNF. Uh, my website is sportland.org.uk. Uh, email me at Sportland Training and Fitness uh, at gmail.com. Uh, and then Facebook as well, Sam Portland PT, shamefully. But yeah, that's me. Uh, add yeah, add friend on. with caution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, like if, if anyone wants any help, any information, they're local, just, just get in contact. I'll you know, be more than happy to help. Uh, and if I don't respond, it's not that I'm being a douchebag. Just keep chasing me on it. So I'm quite busy. But yeah, more than, more than happy to, uh, to help. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, um, by the time this comes out, I'll, uh, I'll talk about it on the podcast now, by the time this comes out, the, uh, the rugby strength coach community for uh, coaches should be up, and obviously you're going to be a part of that, you've, you've uh, graciously agreed to be a part of that, so if, if anyone is, is listening to this and wants to be a part of that community and, and pick your brains and talk to you, you're, you're going to be on there, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely going to be on there. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be good for the uh, for for young coaches, existing coaches, and generally the rugby coach, strength coaching community. Um, I think uh, I think we we've got a little bit of a game changer there. Hopefully, it won't have fallen uh, flat on its ass by the time this comes out, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it it won't. It won't. Cheers, Sam. Thanks, Kit.